hey, look at me. That is the cry of our generation today, young and old. As I mentioned last week, society in its advancement in technology and the rise of social media has allowed this cry of, look at me, to become more prevalent and to become louder. We tell people, look at me, look what I'm eating. Look where I am. Look at what organizations I belong to. Look at the accomplishment of my children. Look at how much I love my spouse. Or perhaps this morning, look at me. I'm at church. And why do we want the world to look at us? Because intrinsically, at our root level, whether you are an introvert or an extrovert, we all have the same temptation to want to be the star of the show. Whether you admit it publicly or not, to an extent, we all crave attention. And so it feels good to tell others just how, how cool my life is. To tell everyone how I'm God's favorite because I'm so blessed by Him and His favor continues to pour down in my life. And we want to tell everyone how awesome we are as we contribute to the betterment of this world. And so we tell the world, look at me. I picked up a piece of trash on the floor and I put it in the recycling bin. Or look at me, I don't use plastic straws to help the environment. Look at me, I've got a brand new car. Look, I gave to the poor. Look, I helped someone cross the street. Unless it is documented for all to see, somehow it doesn't count. Now, before you think I'm, I'm bashing those who post on social media, I'm not. I do the same. I'm just expressing the nature of our me-first culture. It's about me. Now, there is an appropriate time and there's an appropriate place to share fun things about your life. To express thanksgiving to God for His blessings in your life. Uh, to let your community celebrate the milestones of your life. Your accomplishments in giving glory to God. Or perhaps even to bring a smile to someone's face by showing how cute your kids are. Or what silly things they do. Or to show the oddities and the fun things of life. But what I'm advocating for is a balance. And a balance that is something for us to decide on. And it is a balance to remember while we want to share the things that are happening in our life, we want to remember to ensure that our motives for sharing are in the right place. Now, I'm not here to micromanage how you express yourself, but we need to remember that there are spiritual disciplines we need to live out daily to remind ourselves that we are not first in this world. And so this morning we continue our sermon series entitled Not First, practicing daily spiritual disciplines that remind me of my place in this world. And so this morning we look at the spiritual discipline of secrecy. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, we take a look at verses 1 to 6 and verses 6 to 18. Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 to 6 and verses 16 to 18, as you are turning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, I want to remind us that chapter 6 is a part of a larger sermon of Jesus, which we know collectively as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, to help you as you're following along in this message, and if you're taking notes, I'll give you the overriding outline of what we're going to talk about. First of all, I'm going to give you the big principle, the general principle of what secrecy is all about. Then we're going to talk about two expressions of secrecy 
that Jesus talks about? What areas of our life are we to be secret about? And these come from Jesus himself. And then I will give you two encouragements for why you and I would want to live in secret. And then finally, two freedoms that secrecy brings. So let's take a look now at the overriding principle. And I'll give it to you before we exposit it. Here's the principle. Secrecy identifies our true motives. Secrecy identifies your true motives. In verses 1 to 18, Jesus will indicate in three actions or in three settings areas that we should be secret in. Now, before we look at them in detail, I want to point out the admonition for why we are to practice the discipline of secrecy. Look quickly at the beginning of these three verses, beginning in verse 2. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you, note this, as the hypocrites do. Jump down to verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Jump down to verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. It doesn't take rocket science to find out that Jesus is talking about not becoming a hypocrite. The admonition to practice the discipline of secrecy is so that you are not a hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? For those of you who don't know, a hypocrite is a fraud. Someone who says something and does something else. Someone who is a a phony, a pretender, one whose true motives are hidden. And therefore, the discipline of secrecy helps us identify what is our true motive in doing what we do. And in that process, reminding us that we are not first in this world. You see, oftentimes we call attention to ourselves because we are wanting self-affirmation. We are insecure, and so we want someone to affirm us. When we do what we do, we're actually boasting about ourselves. We are marketing ourselves because inside we are insecure. Will people like us? Do they like us? And so we call attention so that public affirmation will somehow bring with it self-worth in my life. But we don't say it publicly Because we would come across as jerks if you keep saying, come on, look at me, look at me, look what I'm doing. Put your focus on me. And so we hide the very reason for why we do it. And we couch it and we hide it in good deeds. And that's the very definition of a hypocrite. And somehow our culture, our Asian culture, actually allows for this. We're great at this. In our cultural deference, think about it, when someone compliments you for something, what's your first reaction? We say, no, no, it's not the case. Oh, you're so handsome. Bola, bola, no, it's not. No, you really are. No, no, you're just saying kind words. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, yes, I am. Oh, you are so pretty. No, no. And you want them to say it again. Say it again. You really are. You are blooming. No, I'm not in the back of my mind. Yes, I am. And and truth be told, we, we love hearing people say those words of affirmation. Imagine if 
someone compliments you and you just simply say thank you, then you won't hear it a second or a third or a fourth time. So we know how this game is played. Yes, there is cultural difference. That's how we are as Asians. We are humble. But you know, if you're honest with yourself, in the mechanism of humility, you're actually drawing more affirmation. And the discipline of secrecy is to ensure that we don't become hypocrites, calling to attention our true motives. You know, there's a philosophical question that is often asked in philosophy 101 classes in university. I'm sure you've heard it before. If a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? It's kind of a silly question if you think about it. Of course it makes a sound, only you don't hear it because you're not there. Let me ask you a similar question. If you do a good deed and no one knows about it, is it still a good deed? The answer is yes. If you do something charitable, but no one knows about it, does the other person benefit? Absolutely. So here's the question I pose to you, then why should you care whether people know about it or not? But we don't think about that, do we? The deed is a good one, whether people know about it or not. Now, now sometimes others have to know of the good deeds we do to motivate others to do likewise, the idea of passing it forward. But you know your own motives, and you should daily ask yourself the question, why do I do what I do? If no one knows what I've done, will I be okay with it? Will I be happy with it? And if you need help to identify what your motives are, secrecy is the way to go. If no one finds out, if no one ever finds out in this lifetime, will I be okay with it? If I'm not okay with it, then perhaps your motives are in the wrong place. Now, the Lord will give two areas in our life where He desires secrecy in. The first area is in charitable action. Look at verses 1 and 2. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Jesus most likely was talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees love drawing attention to themselves. Now, they wouldn't say, hey, come, all of you, look, I'm going to give. Watch me, I'm going to give lots of money, which will indicate how spiritual I am. And yet the Bible says they called attention to themselves while they gave money. How did they do it? Well, if you don't know, there were 13 brass trumpet-shaped offering bowls placed around the temple courtyard just like we have offering boxes in the back of the worship center. Now, these Pharisees would make a scene whenever they gave money to the temple. How? Well, biblical historians have written that they would offer lots of coins in small denomination. So, for example, let's put it into an example you can understand. For example, there's a $1 coin. If they dropped it into the metal collection bowl, it wouldn't make much of a noise, just one clang. And so what they would do is they, they would exchange that $1 coin into 100 
one cent coin. And you know how much noise 100 coins will make. But it's really the same amount. And so in that way, as they dump in all the coins, no one will know really how much they gave. Because if you look at ancient Roman coins, they're all kind of the same size, just like our one peso and five peso coin. That's a problem in and of itself. And these Pharisees would get people to think they were so pious and so righteous because of all the money they gave. Right? It's the same if you wanted to offer a thousand pesos to the Lord. If you drop a bill in the back, it won't make much of a noise. Imagine changing a thousand peso bill into a thousand one peso coins. That's why we made those boxes in the back wooden, so you wouldn't make noise. Remember the widow's mite? No one noticed her. Because what she gave was little, but also didn't make much noise. That's why Jesus had to say, disciples, stop looking at the Pharisees because of the noise they were making, drawing attention to how much they supposedly gave. And, and look at that widow pointing attention to what she gave out of her own lack of abundance. And this was a warning. Don't be a hypocrite. Express secrecy in charitable action. Because the Bible says, if you draw attention to yourself, then you will have already received your reward for giving to the Lord. You'll make a good impression, and that good impression is already your reward, but you're still a hypocrite. Look what Jesus goes on to say, verse 3 and 4. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. I'm sure you've heard this idiom before, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What does it mean? It means that when you give in secret, the giver should readily forget what he gave so that your left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. But sadly, we allow to linger in our mind what we give. Right? Sometimes when we give, we have second thoughts. We begin to wonder how it's going to be used. Maybe I shouldn't have given that much. When you give to churches or organizations, somehow you think, well, if I gave to them, then I have a right to say how things are run. And yet that would be the wrong motive because the Bible clearly teaches to give without strings attached. And once you give, the left isn't to know what the right is doing because you are not to linger on what you can get back from what you did. That's how a lot of us are. I give. So something is owed me. I give, so I expect something in return. You know, a few years ago, someone donated a very large amount uh, to our then church building project, and it coursed through my hands. I quickly passed it down uh, to the deacons in charge. It was such a large amount, uh, really a generous amount. I uh, called the man to thank him again for his generosity and asked him if he would like to mark it uh, with his name or in anonymity. And I will remember his response until today, more than a decade ago. He was genuinely surprised that I would even call. 
Pastor, why did you call you? There was no need for you to call. There is no need for you to thank me. Because my blessing will come from the Lord. And yes, don't let anyone know who gave it. I said, what a wonderful attitude. Here's a man who doesn't seek the approval of others. He didn't do it to be thanked. When you do something in charitable action, whether it's the giving of your resources or your time or your talents or whatever else, are you okay with no one thanking you? Are you okay when no one acknowledges what you give? Do you become happy or bitter based on the lack of response to what you've done? It's hard to express secrecy in charitable action because we want the world to know. But the Bible says don't. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, meaning quickly forget what you've given so that you don't think you get something out of it. When was the last time you gave in secret? Perhaps you can try it. There are a lot of different ways. You can write a note of encouragement and anonymity. You can buy grocery or school supplies for a family you know that's in need and, and drop it off at the residence to help them without writing your name or number. Or perhaps you can maybe get a few uh, bills of 500 pesos or 100 pesos, whether uh, the actual bill or gift certificates in unmarked envelopes, and, and have it in your wallet or purse ready to hand it out to people in need. They don't know you, you don't know them. And then when you hand it out, say a prayer that God will use what you've given them for His glory. And you may be tempted to write your name and number, or perhaps you won't because you think that they're going to call you to ask for more. I don't know how you're thinking. But whatever the case, would you be okay if you're not identified as the giver? How does it make you feel? When you begin to practice the spiritual discipline of charitable action and secrecy, you will see that the reason you do what you do comes to real light. Now, there's a second area where Jesus talks about keeping in secret. And that second area is in spiritual action. The first in charitable action, the second in spiritual action. Look with me at verses 5 to 6. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. I Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In verses 5 to 6, Jesus is admonishing the people listening to pray in secret. Don't make a show. Imagine something so spiritual as prayer. And these Pharisees loved to pray in public, prayed perhaps long prayers using flowery words loud enough so that people will think, wow, this is a man of prayer. And yet the Bible says they were hypocrites. Can you imagine taking something as spiritual as prayer and making it about themselves? And yet we talked about that last week. Look at your prayer. What do you pray about? Yourself. But it happens. Even in spiritual things, we allow the spiritual pride of our hearts to make spiritual things about us. Because we want people to think we're holy, we're special, 
favored by God. Now, we don't have time, but I encourage you to read verses 7 to 15, uh, and it will tell you about what is the Lord's model of prayer. But jump down to verses 16 to 18. Moreover, the Bible says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Here Jesus sets another example where the Pharisees were using spiritual things, the spiritual discipline of fasting, to boast about themselves. Imagine fasting, which is denying oneself of food so that they can spend it in spiritual prayer. And yet the Pharisees made it about themselves. You see, they would walk around with scowls on their faces and how can we say you tau call be? And there's a, a bitterness and anguish in their face. So that people will ask of them, what's wrong? Why do you look distressed and anguished? And perhaps they would reply something like this, oh, you don't know, I'm so hungry. But I'm hungry because I love God. I fasted for 20 days giving up lunch just so I can pray. I'm hungry for God. Well, isn't that great? Spiritual words. But it was the scowl on their face that elicited them to be able to express the spiritual pride they had. But notice what verse 17 Jesus teaches. He teaches that when you fast, no one is supposed to know that you are fasting. I don't know about you, but when I scroll through Facebook news feeds, there's a lot of people telling me and telling the world that they are fasting. Now, that's between them and the Lord, but the words of the Lord are are quite clear. When you fast, no one is supposed to know you are fasting. Now, if someone asks you about it, don't lie. They say, why can't you eat this meal with us? You tell them. But the point is, that which is between you and God, you keep it to yourself. Why is there a necessity to tell others of your spiritual intimacy with the Savior? I know it's hard to keep secrets, but this is not my instruction. This is the Lord's instruction. In what you pray and in how you fast is between me, the Lord, and yourself. The expression of secrecy is to be expressed in spiritual action and in charitable action. No one should know how many Bible verses you can memorize. No one needs to know how many times you've read through the Bible. No one needs to know how, how, what spiritual things you do. And by keeping it secret, it centers that walk between me and the Savior. It, it reminds us that when I want to be intimate with God in prayer, in fasting, in Bible study, the focus is about 
God, not about other people finding out. Now, you may ask, why in the world would I want to live lives of secret? Here are two encouragements from the Lord. The first encouragement for secret living is because God is omnipresent and God is omniscient. God is omnipresent and He is omniscient. Look at verses 6 and 18. Look at that phrase. Verse 6, your father who is in the secret place. Verse 18, your father who is in the secret place. It means he's everywhere always, even though no one sees you. It's done in secret, whether good or bad. He is standing there whether you are aware of him or not. Your father who is in the secret place, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere always. And then look at verses 4, 6, and 18. Look at that phrase. Your father who sees in secret, your father who sees in secret, your father who sees in secret, repeated three times in this chapter, speaks of his omniscience. Meaning he knows everything done in secret because he sees everything. Now how does knowing that God is omnipresent and omniscient encourage us to cultivate the discipline of secrecy? Here's the thing. You and I don't have to fight to proclaim to the world what we do. When there is one who sees everything and one who is everywhere always, who is taking notes and never misses anything. There are a lot of young people, they get depressed. They won't admit it. But truth be told, when they post something, when they tell about their life, they feel sad when the algorithm doesn't work itself out that there are very few likes. In fact, it's such an epidemic, a problem that companies like Instagram are trying to remove the like feature because they realize people were tying their self-worth and self-affirmation to what other people's view on them are. Why do we care? You don't have to worry about likes or anything else because God doesn't miss anything. You don't have to sell yourself in the public. You don't have to draw attention to yourself because there is a God whose very character tells us that He sees all and He remembers all. And the second encouragement, He rewards. You see, our second encouragement not only found in the character of who God is, but also in what He does. He rewards us from His treasured chest of rewards. Look at the end of verse 4, verse 6, verse 18. Jesus says, Your Father who sees in secret, note this, will reward you openly. Verse 6, will reward you openly. Verse 18, will reward you openly. The same phrase, three verses. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, don't you worry, don't you worry, don't you worry. You live in secret, God will make it up to you. It is God who will reward you. And that is the encouragement I hope we have. Now, that poses a question intrinsically. Which reward do you want? Do you want man's rewards, his affirmation, his applause, or do you want God's? And so this week as I was preparing for this message, I began to think, what is the best that mankind, that this world can give me if I gave a lot to charity, if I did some good work? What's, what's the best? How does the world 
reward people. All right? So as I thought about it, I said, well, oftentimes they give you a plaque. All right? How many of you do what you do for a plaque? Some of you do. You're collecting plaques at home. The sad part is it's at your home. No one sees it. You say, no, I don't need plaques. I'd rather have the money. All right? You can reward my giving of money with more money. That makes no sense. Or you can reward my good deeds with money. All right, money. How much? Enough to make me happy. How much will make you happy? Enough to buy a new car. At some point, the reward won't be enough to satisfy what you think you did for someone. Let's say you saved someone's life. How much money are you expecting from the other family? It's not very satisfying. Well, you say, well, I don't need the money. I'll, I'll just take a statue. Maybe you can build a statue of me in front of the church when I'm 100 years old. I don't know. Well, here's the problem. Birds poop on statues. How many statues, as you walk down public parks, do you still say, oh, he is so to be remembered. They're rusted. The acid rain is destroying it. If you ever go to America because of the movement of removing Confederate heroes, every other statue is being removed down in the south. And then they're responding by removing statues of people famous in the north in the great American Civil War. Sometimes they will replace your statue. Statues don't do anything. You say, oh, you know what? I'll take a title. Too bad we aren't a British colony. We would be knighting each other. We call each other sirs and ladies. Wouldn't that be great? Have you ever dreamed of being knighted by the queen? I'll take a title. I'll take an honor. I'll donate a lot of money. I've never graduated high school, but I'll take an honorary doctorate. That's how you get it. You give a lot of money, you're buying for your title. But then all of academia just makes fun of you because honorary titles are really not legit titles. And you can go down the list, house, car, luxury item. Back in a generation past, they give you watches. You work 20 years in a company, they give you the, the company watch. Sadly, they, they put their logo on it, it's ugly. So when you think about it, it's great, but it's not satisfying. And then you look at the things God can give you. Well, salvation notwithstanding, He rewards us with great health. He could reward us with longer life. He could reward us with satisfaction, comfort, contentment. He can reward you with a good night's rest because you have peace. He could reward you with a problem-free week, a problem-free month. You're thinking... Those are such spiritual rewards. Contentment, comfort. Thanks, Pastor. I prefer the Lexus. All right? But I want you to understand something. You cannot enjoy the reward of men if God doesn't reward you with his blessings. Think about this. You and I cannot enjoy man's rewards if God doesn't enable. You can have the most expensive, most comfortable bed but you may not be able to sleep because you don't have peace. You may have the most expensive luxury car, a Maserati, a Ferrari, but you may not have legs to drive it. 
You may have so much money that you can hire a, a personal chef to cook you an amazing meal, every meal, never eating leftovers. But you may not enjoy it if you have stomach cancer. So what will it be? Would you take the rewards of man? Would you take the rewards from God? The Bible tells us, Jesus says, three times, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That should be an encouragement. He's omnipresent. He is omniscient. He's taken notes. He never misses anything. And he will be the one that rewards you. Can you wait for his rewards as you live a life of secrecy? Well, we've talked about the overall principle. We've talked about the areas of secrecy that Jesus wants us to live in, the area of charitable action and spiritual action, two encouragements for why we need to practice the discipline of secrecy, but now let me talk about the freedom that it brings. The first freedom it brings is the freedom from the approval game. We are not practicing the discipline of secrecy for the sake of secrecy, but to free us from the approval game into a life that's secured in Christ. Frees us from the trap and, and the bondage of wanting to be praised, wanting to be lauded, wanting to be recognized so that we will crave the applause of one versus the approval of the world. You know, the approval game, it, it's like a drug, actually. We're, we are addicted to compliments. You know that. It's our hit. And whenever we get hit with a compliment, oh, it makes us feel good, and so we, we crave it more. We look for it. Compliment me. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how good I am. And yes, we are to encourage our children. We are to encourage one another. But to an extent, we so crave the encouragement and praise and recognition that we are bound to it. It brings bondage. And so when you practice secrecy daily, it reminds us that we are not trapped to hear the compliment of others. Isn't it freeing that you are who you are, a child of God, approved by Him without needing to hear someone say you are a good person? You know, it actually frees up in other ways. Sometimes we play these crazy mind games that if I do something good for you, the expectation is you say thank you, and then when I need you in the future, you'll thank me. So I know that you know that I helped him. And so 10 years later, when you're in trouble, you expect the person that you helped 10 years ago to help you back, and you get mad that they don't remember, and they haven't even thought about it for the past 10 years. And so at, at home, I wonder in the conversations you have at home between spouses your conversation goes something like this. Oh, can you believe that person? Why are they like that? They don't remember. They, 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 don't, they don't remember. I helped them 10, 15, 20 years ago. They should be helping back. They should know better. And then your spouse tells you, well, why don't you ask for help? No, I've got pride. They should know. They haven't thought about it. You see, if you had practiced the discipline of secrecy, that's what you did for them meant that there was no strings attached. There was no expectation that they return a favor to you. It's very freeing that you don't need their approval of help. 
the life of Jesus. He didn't call attention to himself. He, he pulled away from the crowds when he realized that the crowds were only there for the show, his shows of miraculous acts. And so towards the second part of his ministry, he began to draw away. He still did works of miraculous feats to draw people to God. But it was on a personal basis. Several times he exhorted others to keep his works a secret. Mark 1, Mark 9, verse 9, Luke 8, 56. Don't tell anyone. Perhaps you thought, or he could have thought, you know what? If I do these miracles for a bigger crowd, they will come and help me fight the Romans. They will help me fight the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. No, he wasn't thinking like that. Because Jesus didn't need their approval. He came to do the Father's will. We talked about that last week. And neither do you. You don't need the approval of others. You have come to do the Father's will. And the spiritual discipline of secrecy helps us do this. Freed from the approval game, it is such a freeing experience that your self-worth, that who you are is not centered on others. It is in your identity in Christ. There's another freedom it frees you from, and that is freedom from the comparison game. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 reminds us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. No need to compare. If you practice the discipline of secrecy, you will come to the realization that there is nothing to compare because you can't compare what you can't see. Perhaps this will help you understand this principle. You know, how is it that we're always compelled to share? And when we share with others, we do so trying to one-up a person, right? We're not going to tell them we're doing that, but we do it. So someone tells you, you know, I've been so blessed. God has blessed me with the opportunity to go to 10 foreign countries. And you say, wow, that's wonderful. And somehow within the conversation stream, you work out, and you know what? God has blessed me. I've been to 11 countries. As if one more country makes you a better person, more favored by God. Oh, we wouldn't say we're bragging. Just want to let you know that I've been to 11, one more than you. Or perhaps in a conversation stream, someone says, you know, I've got a million pesos in the bank. And you say, wow, that, that's a lot of money. You, you've saved up a lot. And you know, I've saved up just as much. I have a million and one peso. I've got more than you. I'm a better saver than you. This is ingrained in, in, in our, uh, our personalities ever since we were young, right? You know this. What's the first thing students say when their test papers are returned? What did you get? What did you get? Why do we do that? It's not so that we can cheer on the one that got 100. Wow, you got 100. You're so smart. Because when we ask someone, what did you get? We look at our own score. and We got a bigger and better score. We think, we think in the back of our mind, I'm so much smarter than you. Doesn't it annoy you? You know what happens. There's always that one kid in the class. When you ask them, what's your score? They say, it's a secret. You hate those type of people. 
Why won't they just say? It's not because they've figured out the discipline of secrecy, I doubt it. It's probably because they failed. But they don't want you to know. It's a secret. And that drives you up the wall. But if you think about it, if you can break out of that cycle and you can tell people through your action it's a secret, then it doesn't matter. Because guess what? When you stop telling them, they're going to stop telling you. And when they stop telling you, guess what happens? You don't feel the obligation to compare with them anymore. That's something we don't understand much. But the discipline of secrecy really frees us from this comparison game so that we don't find our self-worth and affirmation and our identity based on if we're better than someone in a score or in a money or anything else. You may be in denial that you play these games, and we all do. How do you know if you're caught up in the approval or comparison game? Ask yourself these questions. Do I ever feel disappointed when nobody notices my efforts? Do I ever get upset when someone else gets the credit for my idea? Do I ever find myself doing something so someone will think I'm smart or, or nice? Will I ever be discouraged or sulk or disappointed when my past achievements are forgotten or ignored? Do I ever get upset when no one says thank you? The discipline of secrecy frees us to freely love others without comparison or approval. So we can just love upon them out of the infinite reserve of the love that we receive from God. It frees us from a conditional tit-for-tat relationship. It frees us into a life of generosity and compassion. No strings attached. It is freeing. Secrecy reminds us that it's about others. It's about Jesus. It's not about us. So the next time you want someone to know about what you've done, ask yourself, Will I be okay if no one knows about it except God? Ask yourself daily that question. If I don't post about it, will I be okay with it? If I don't tell someone I did it, will I be okay with it? Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, writes one of the great fallacies of the Christian faith, and actually one of the greatest acts of unbelief is the thought that spiritual acts and virtues need to be advertised to be known. Secrecy, rightly practiced, enables one to place the public relation department entirely in the hands of God. We allow God to decide when deeds will be known and when light will be noticed. My friends, who handles the PR department of your life. Who does? If you're handling the PR department, you're going to lose. There's always a better marketer out there. There's someone that's living a better life. You'll lose that game. And no wonder we are so frustrated and so we're burdened because here we are with all the things we've got to do in our life and we're also handling the public relation department to show the world how awesome we are.
when you see that department to God. The Bible says He takes care of it. That the omnipresent, omniscient God will reward us in His own way because in His perfect timing, He will make all things known. Trust God with the PR of your life. And in that, you will find great freedom to live this life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is a great reminder even to me. One who intrinsically cares about what others think. Help us to practice the discipline of secrecy in these areas of life you've asked us to do. Because at its core, secrecy, Lord, is about trusting you. And because we don't trust you enough to reward us, we doubt your word, we take it upon our own selves to do your work for you. And we only get discouraged. Father, help us to trust in a way, to trust the living word of God, the very words of Jesus which assures us that the one who sees all is the one who will reward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.